Everyone? Man, that was, that was strong. Well done. Well done. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here at the church at Blue Ridge. Really good to, uh, to see you all this morning. Hope you had a, a great week. Uh, as always, listen, if you're a guest this morning, uh, we're really glad that you're here. We're uh, glad that you're uh, chosen to be a part of our, our worship service this morning. And listen, uh, after the service, I promise lunch will be waiting on you when you get there. Don't jet. Hang around. We'd love to, to meet you, introduce yourself to someone new. I would love the chance to, to get to know you better and uh, find out more about you. So please, please take advantage of that. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of, of John. The Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Uh, John, chapter 8, uh, beginning in, in, verse, in verse 21. Now, if you weren't here last week, let me encourage you um, sometime later this week, in the next couple of weeks, go back and listen uh, to, the, to the sermon on Easter Sunday, the sermon that was preached last week. Much of the, the groundwork and the foundation for what we're going to talk about today was laid on Easter Sunday. So uh, you can find that sermon. It's up on our website now, I believe, at tcblueridge.com and even on our, on our TC Blue Ridge podcast. But I would encourage you, encourage you to do that. But uh, just kind of really quickly, just in case, just to kind of catch everybody up, Jesus declared last week to us, he made this, this massive theological claim that, that really took up almost three quarters of the sermon last week. He called himself the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. And, and really simply, that, what he's saying is that, is that, listen, I'm the Messiah, I'm coming, offering salvation and eternal life to, to all who will follow me. That's what Jesus was saying when he was making that, that claim. And he, he called people to, to believe in him, to believe in my claims. He actually used the word follow. Follow me, and, and I will, I'll give you e- eternal life. I am the Messiah. I'm the light of the world. But w- you remember from last week, if you were here, the people listening to Jesus... They didn't get it. They didn't, they didn't seem to, to understand what he was, was talking about, specifically the, the Pharisees, right? They had their own preconceived notions of who Jesus was supposed to be. Listen, Jesus, if you're the light of the world, you got to fit in my little box that I drew for you, right? And we all know that the, the way God works, the way Jesus works, he, he rarely fits into our, into our boxes. And so, uh, they attempt over and over to discredit him. They, they ask him multiple questions, trying to get away from this claim. Jesus, we're, we don't, we're not going to believe that you're the light of the world. And so they, they keep trying to go over here and over there. And Jesus keeps very gently, very kindly bringing them back to this claim. Listen, guys, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Now, last week, their issue, the Pharisees' issue with Jesus was all about his authority was all about, Jesus, do you really have the authority to make such a claim? Like, that's a big deal. You just said you're the light of the world, right? you got to have something to, to back that up. Last week was all about the authority of his testimony. Well, this week, uh, beginning really 21 all the way down through 30, this, this issue of authority is going to come up again. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to move rather quickly through that, all right? I want to cover it, but we're going to move rather quickly through verses 21 through 30. We're going to talk about the, the things there as it relates to Jesus' authority. But the majority of our time this morning, I want to spend on verses 31 to 36, okay? So, uh, so 21 to 30 and then 31 to 36. That's kind of the big picture charting out where we're going this morning, okay? 
All right, so uh, the first thing that, that we need to talk about this morning as, as regards to Jesus' authority is the source of it. This is the heart of their issue. Where is the source of Jesus' authority to make this claim that he is the light of the world? And the first thing that Jesus is going to show us this morning is that the source of his authority is all in where he's going. It's in heaven. So let's read verses 21 to 24. So he said to them again, Jesus, I'm going away. And you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Man, that's a, that's a bold claim. Great for breakfast, right? Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, For unless you believe that I am he, I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is essentially saying to the Pharisees there and the crowds that are listening to his teaching, listen, my time's short. I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm not going to be with you forever. I'm going away. Now, now we're going to see a little bit later in, in our text that what Jesus means by away is he means the crucifixion. He's going to be crucified, he'll be buried, he'll rise from the grave three days later and ultimately ascend to the Father. He's going back to heaven, back to the place where the source of his authority lies. But these men, the people in the crowds, they can't go with him. They cannot go where he is going, ultimately unless they follow and believe him. Jesus says, you cannot go where I'm going. Notice that that sin there in verse 21, it's singular. It's sin. You will die in your sin, right? Not believing in the Messiah, not believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the light of the world, is a sin. I think oftentimes we forget that. Unbelief in Christ is a sin. And it leads to eternal spiritual death. Separation from God forever. Separation from God forever. Unless we follow Jesus, Pharisees, unless you follow me, you will die in your sin. Now, I want to I hold off on this idea of belief because Jesus is going to come back to it in verses 31 to 36. So we're going to set it aside for now and we're going to come back, okay? So unless you believe in me, Jesus says, you're going to die in your sin. You cannot go where I'm going. But once again, we see spiritual darkness is working in, in the hearts of the Pharisees here. They're blind to the things Jesus is saying to them. So blind in verse 22 that they think he's talking about suicide. They think Jesus is going to kill himself. Now, if you're reading through the gospel, right, you can't help but like catch the irony of that, right? That these men think that Jesus is going to kill himself when just a little bit later on, in the sovereign plan of God, Jesus is going to actually allow them to have him killed. So he's not going to commit suicide. He's, he's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about his humble submission to the Father's plan, the cross. This was God's plan since the beginning, before the beginning. The, the plan of the Father for the Son to come and take on flesh, to, to be the light of the world, and then to be crucified as an atonement for the sins of God's people. But these men, they're blind to it. They're blind to it. By, by referring to the, the places where he is from, where Jesus is from, above, and where they're from, below, Jesus isn't, 
isn't necessarily talking about a place so much. He is talking about heaven. He is talking about earth, where they're from. But, but it's much more than that. Uh, many of you will be familiar with this kind of language. My grandmother used to use it often growing up. She would say something like this. She would say, oh, I know so-and-so. I, I know her, right? I know her family. She comes from good stock. Anybody ever heard someone say that before? She comes, he comes from good stock. Now, here's the deal. We all know that stock is not a place on a map. Like, we can't can actually go to stock. It's not a physical address. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind, a nature, all right? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about natures and kinds. The Pharisees and those who don't follow him, they are of the kind of those who are from below. They are from below. They have an earthly nature. Their their stock, their kind is fallen and blinded by sin. But in contrast, Jesus' kind, his stock, is divine. He's sinless. He's never sinned. Sin has never been a part of him. He is sent from the Father, from heaven, to declare the truth that he is the light of of the world and his authority, his authority to say that is in heaven. Now, as I've said over and over throughout this, this whole section in chapter 8, these guys, they just don't get it. They, they just, they cannot see, they cannot understand the things that Jesus is saying. Listen to what John says, or what Jesus says in John 6, 45. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The reason they can't understand is that they haven't received this heavenly instruction. The blindness hasn't been removed from their eyes. Remember last week we talked about, we talked about the, the spiritual cataracts that, that the Holy Spirit removes from our eyes and makes us to see our sin and our need, right? This hasn't happened for them yet. They need this heavenly instruction, This is exactly the same thing that Jesus told Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you need to be reborn. Listen listen to this. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. These men need to be born again. And if you're here and you've never followed Christ, you need to be born again as well. Without this, without this spiritual rebirth, without this blindness being removed, we cannot see, we cannot believe And according to Jesus, we will die in our sins. We can't go where Jesus went, where Jesus is now. Notice, look at verse 24. Jesus uses there the plural sins. The sin of unbelief, I think he's teaching us, grows into a full harvest of all kinds of other sins. Not believing in Jesus triggers a domino effect that leads to all kinds of sins. And Jesus says that these men will die in their sins and face eternal judgment. If they had believed in him, they could join him in his Father's presence. They could. That was the gift. Eternal life. Come and follow me and I will, I'll make you live forever. But because they won't, they're doomed to eternal judgment. So the, the first part of Jesus' authority, the source of it, it's in heaven. Quickly, the second the second uh, aspect to the source of Jesus' authority is that it's, it's in his relationship to the Father. Let's read verses 25 through 30. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. 
I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. 27. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, uh, I want you to remember verse 30, because we're going to come back to that. That's important. But let's, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, 25 through, through 25 through 29. Now, the Pharisees, the people in the crowds that have been listening to Jesus' teaching, no doubt by now, they're growing increasingly frustrated with this guy, right? With Jesus. He's made some, some pretty audacious claims. This, this I am the light of the world, connecting himself to what we talked about last week in the, the Feast of Booths. They're, they're getting frustrated, all right? And so, so when they say, who are you? They're, they're, it, it's, it's, much, it's much harder. There's much more anger in it than we read in our text. It's how dare you say such a thing? Who are you to make such a statement? And, and look at what Jesus, how he answers them. He says, well, I am who I'm, who I'm telling you that I was. I know you say that I don't get to, to say these things, Pharisees. I know you say that, that I can't make this claim that I'm the light of the world, but, but I'm the light of the world. Jesus says, listen, I am who I've been telling you I am from the beginning. From the very beginning, I am, I'm that person. I am the light of the world. Now, now, verse 26 was confusing for me. It was hard because I, I didn't understand why Jesus would make that jump, why he would go from, okay, I am who I've been telling you, but it's not really the time for that right now. I've got lots of things to say about you. Let's read verse, verse 26 one more time. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. That, was, that seemed odd to me. That seemed like an odd response until I remembered what Jesus told the Pharisees back up in verse 15. Let's look back up at verse 15. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. That was their problem all along, Jesus says there, that they were judging according to the flesh. So what I think Jesus is saying there in verse 26 is, listen, guys, I am who I've been telling you. And listen, I've got some things that I need to say about you, some some things regarding judgment. You've made your judgment call about me, fellas. You've, you've drawn your little box, all right? I don't fit in it. Now you've condemned me. You say that I'm a liar. Ultimately, you're going to crucify me. You've done that. I have some judgments to make about you, some very true judgments, because remember, my authority, it rests in heaven. It rests in my relationship with, with the Father. I have some things to say about you in judgment, but listen, guys, now's not the time for that. There will be a time for that, but it's not now. It's not now. Jesus says what it is time for, what, what he's been working towards, what he's been working at since he stepped into the world was ultimately going, going to the cross. The Father had given him his message and his mission. 
It was ultimately to be the light of the world, to come and be uh, the sacrifice for sins. This was the message and the mission from the Father. It had authority because it came from God. And Jesus says, that's what I'm about right now. That's what it's time for. Everything Jesus says and does is trustworthy. It has authority because of his relationship with his heavenly Father, because he is the Son of God, the light of the world. Listen to John 5, 19 and 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is not doing. Now, now, once again, remember, they're blind. They don't see it, but Jesus says something is coming that can change all of that. Something is coming that can change all of that. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the cross there. He's saying that, that once the Son of Man is lifted up, once he is, he is hoisted high on the, on the cross, there will be no more convincing proof in the entire world for the rest of history that everything that Jesus said and was is true. He's, he's not saying in our passage this morning that the Pharisees, that the people there that are listening to him are necessarily going to believe it. He's not saying that they're going to place their faith in him, follow him, and be saved. What he is saying is if there is ever any more convincing, there will never be another more convincing proof that would lead someone to that saving faith than the cross, than, than the Son of God hoisted high. If you won't believe because of the cross, you probably will never believe. That's what Jesus is saying there. That's what he's saying. Everything about everything that Jesus has said and done has been moving to the cross. The cross was the Father's plan. It was done in the Father's authority. It would happen. Nothing can stop it. The source of Jesus' authority was with his relationship to his Father. All right, I told you, I wanted to blow through that really fast, all right? So, so that, that gets us down to verses 31 to 36, okay? 31 to 36. Now, now remember last week, I, I, I told you about my wife and I, and I'll, I'll confess it again. Um, I am directionally challenged, okay? I, um, it might take me an hour to get to Greer sometimes. I'm, that's, that's kind of a joke and then kind of not, um, but uh, I am directionally challenged, right? I can get you to where we're going, told you last week, but sometimes we might have to go around the world to, to get to Greer. My wife, she is not. She always knows. She always knows where she's at. It's frustrating. What has happened here, what has happened here with the Pharisees? They, they've tried to take every detour in the book, every wrong turn that they could possibly take away from Jesus' claim that I am the light of the world, and Jesus won't let them. He keeps bringing them back. And nothing is changing. Nothing is changing in 31 to 36. He's essentially saying something about what he said earlier, that he is the light of the world. Remember, remember what Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, remember I told you John uses follow and believe almost synonymously. They almost mean the exact same thing in John's writing, all right? Whoever follows me, all that's left to do now Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, I've said what I've said. All that's left to do with it is follow it or not. Believe or not believe. Those are the only two options. You flip the light on in a dark room, there's only two options. You run towards the light or you run away from the light, all right? 
So, so my question this morning, the question that I had this week as I was reading through this is verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, based on what we just walked through, what we walked through last week, does this sound like a group of folks who, who believed? Like, it doesn't to me. All they've had is objections. All they've had is prideful questions. What's going on here? Let's read 31 to 32. John 8, 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said it again, didn't he? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, in just a few verses, he's going to tell them that they're slaves to sin. Something's I'm missing something, right? The Bible doesn't have errors, right? So I'm, I'm missing something. What I think we're seeing here is the same type of faith, same type of belief that we have seen over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. Uh, thin, flimsy, fickle, fake faith even. Fake faith. Jesus, I'll believe you because you healed my, my legs, Remember the guy at the pool at Bethesda in John 5, right? Jesus, I'll believe you because you healed my legs. Jesus, I'll follow you, but, but listen, man, I'm kind of hungry. You got any more of that bread? Any more of those, uh, any more of those fishes? Like, I'm hungry. I'll follow you if you got some more of that, right? It's thin. It's flimsy. If, if, if you go and read Matthew 13, 1 through 9, Jesus' parable of the soils, I think what we're seeing here is the, the seed that's cast on the, the rocky soil or the soil that's infested with thorns, right? A plant in Jesus' parable, the way it goes, a plant springs up, right? There's, a, there's an open, a public profession of faith. But as soon as, the, as soon as opposition comes, as soon as the heat of the day comes, as soon as the, the cares of the world, the thorns, begin to choke out the plant, it withers and dies almost as quickly as it sprung up. This is thin, flimsy, fickle, fake faith. And Jesus is not fooled by it. Jesus is not fooled by it. Remember, in the very beginning of John's gospel, John 2, 23, listen to this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Many believed. But Jesus on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Isn't that amazing? He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. These people who have believed, they're not hiding anything from Jesus. He knows exactly what's going on. And what he's teaching us here, what he's teaching them, is that genuine faith, not fake faith, not fickle, flimsy faith, but genuine faith, genuine belief in the truth leads to freedom. Genuine belief in the truth leads to freedom. Jesus is saying, you say you believe, guys? You say that you follow me? This is what I mean by belief. This is what it means to really follow me. And the first thing is this. The first, thing of, the first aspect of genuine belief is this. The trademark of genuine faith is perseverance. The trademark of genuine faith is perseverance. Look at verse 31. You are truly my disciples if you abide in my word. Abide in my word. I was telling Danny this week, of all the words in the Bible, that, that abide word, this is probably like heretical. I can't stand it. I've never liked it because I don't understand it. 
I never have understood what it means really to, if, when Jesus says, abide in my word, what does that mean? What does it mean to abide in his word? Well, I think what he's, what he's talking about here is the, the faith of true discipleship is marked by, by perseverance, by, by keeping going, by not stopping. Jesus, you say this, your word teaches this. You say this, your word teaches this, your life demonstrates this, even though it's very different from the things that other people are saying, even though it's very different from the way other people are living, I'm going to do this. I'm going to believe what you say. Mold my life after the way you lived yours. Jesus is talking about perseverance. The life of a true disciple. One who really believes. Doesn't have fake, fickle faith. But one who really believes. That disciple, that follower of Jesus, his life will be marked by a, a continual belief in in the truths of the things that Jesus said, and a desire to obey them. A desire to obey those teachings, even in the face of opposition. Even in the face of opposition. But, but there's a second aspect to it as well. Perseverance in Jesus' word has a, has a function. It does something for us. Not only does it, does it point that, that this faith is genuine. That's, that's one of the aspects of, of persevering in the faith, right? It, it points to the genuineness of someone's belief. It's the trademark of genuine faith. But it does something else. It actually verifies, it serves to, to verify that Jesus' teachings are true. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, verse 32, and you will know the truth. He doesn't say maybe. He says you will know the truth. Persevering in Jesus' in Jesus' word, in his teaching, serves only to further verify that the things that we have believed are actually true. As we, as we continue in our life of following Jesus, we only gain more understanding. Maybe not complete understanding. That probably won't come until the end. But, but we get more. Hanging on leads to greater understanding. Have you, have you ever considered before the reason why you struggle to believe some of the teachings of Jesus is because you've never fully obeyed them? Because you've, you've never actually like taken Jesus at his word and obeyed the things that he said? I think, I think sometimes we, we like to take this idea of belief and, and we like to boil it down to just believing that something is true. You know what I mean by that? Like intellectual assent. Two plus two equals four, right? That's true. That's a true statement, right? But belief is more than that. It involves a moral commitment. It, it involves a moral commitment. It involves obedience. We actually, to truly believe the things that Jesus teaches, not only must we agree with him that they're true, but we must also obey them. And if any one of those breaks down, we don't really believe. Genuine belief involves obedience. Do you want to have a deeper understanding of the truth of the gospel, have a more intimate relationship with Jesus, what, what I think we learn here is that we need to seek out those areas in our life and our walk with the Lord where we can obey him more and obey. Do you want to have a, a deeper understanding of evangelism? Seek to share your faith more, right? We all know that we need to do it. Nobody would argue that, that, that we need to share our faith based on God's word. Nobody would argue against that. But when's the last time we actually did it and obeyed it? Do you want to have a deeper understanding of gospel community, right? 
then seek to make that a priority in your life. Don't let it just be something that, that you hit up once a month here at the church, right? You come and hang out with us, have a good time, right? If you want to know more about what it means to live in community with God's people, live in community with God's people. Don't just believe that it's good and true, right? Genuine belief involves obedience. And genuine faith keeps believing. It keeps obeying. Albeit imperfectly, not into, we, we won't obey perfectly until Christ returns, but, but we keep obeying. We keep growing in our understanding of the truth. And according to Jesus in verse 32, that truth, that truth brings freedom. Freedom from the spiritual darkness that blinded the Pharisees and the crowds there, that, that blinds us. Freedom from the darkness that enslaves us. And freedom from the penalty that sin brings. If you follow me, Jesus says, if you'll believe the truth, Believe the truth that I am the light of the world. I will free you from your bondage to slavery. I'll free you from the penalty that sin brings. But these people here in our passage, they are not free. They are as bound as you can be bound, right? They say they believe, but at the very mention of freedom, look at how angry they get. Look at verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, Jesus, how dare you say of us that you will become free? Right? They can't understand how Jesus could even imply, because he didn't even, he didn't actually tell, call them slaves, did he? No, he didn't say that. But they don't understand how he could even imply that they were slaves. In their minds, they actually say it. They say, we're the offspring. That word there is actually seed. We're the seed of Abraham, the physical descendants of Abraham. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, what they don't mean is physical enslavement, right? These folks would have known, they knew their, their people's history very well. They knew that their people were enslaved to Egypt, to Assyria, to Babylon, and even in some ways to Rome. Caesar's calling the shots in this day, right? So in some ways, God's people are in bondage to, to Rome now, right? They're not talking about this. This is a statement, this statement that um, we are the offspring of Abraham. It's a statement of, of spiritual and ethnic superiority. We're the people of Abraham. We're not slaves to anyone. We may, we may have been enslaved, but no one is our master, this is a statement full of pride, pride in all its ugliness. All their hopes, all these people's hopes that, that Jesus is talking to here rested on the fact that they believed that because they were Abraham's descendants, that they were in, that they were God's children and they had nothing to worry about. They were heirs of all of God's promises. Their hope was in Abraham, in this, in this family lineage, Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Man, that's a, uh, that is a stark thing to say. I mean, Jesus is, is calling them to the rug. The, the physical bloodline they shared with Abraham, Jesus says, listen guys, it's of no use for the kind of spiritual slavery that binds you. These men, these women, they were, they were trapped. They were trapped in a kind of slavery that they did not understand. They were slaves to sin. Now we've all heard that, right? We've all heard that language before. We, we read it this morning in Romans 6. 
But what does it mean to be a slave to sin? What, is that, what does that actually mean? Well, in contrast to physical slavery, right? So think bondage, chains, being forced to do things that you don't want to do. In contrast to physical slavery, I'm going to define slavery to sin this way. Slavery to sin is the inescapable condition of the heart that produces within us a love for things other than God. I'm going to say that again. Slavery to sin is the inescapable condition of the heart that produces within us a love for things other than God. It's, it's not this morning that we just do bad acts, right? Raise your hand if you do bad acts here. Everybody's hands, absolutely. Like, it's not, but that's not it. It's not just that we do bad acts. It's, it's deeper than that. It's that that we don't love God. That's our problem. You steal, if you steal this morning, I hope none of you do, but if you steal this morning, you steal because you love money more than God. That's the real reason. If, if you commit adultery or you lust, you commit adultery and lust because you love your own pleasure more than you love God. And Jesus is saying that's slavery. That's slavery. And let me show you how. Sin enslaves us two ways. Two ways. It traps us in this endless cycle of pursuit of those things that we love more than God. Money, sex, whatever it may be. It traps us in this endless cycle of loving these things, and yet they never live up to the promises they make. They never satisfy us. There's never enough money. There's never enough pleasure. So here we are left with this gaping hole, this, this desire for this thing, and we can never get enough. Money won't do it. Sex won't do it. On and on down the list you can go. And so we keep moving from, from God to God, sin to sin, false God to false God, sin to sin, trying to scratch this itch. It's slavery. It's slavery. But there's a second way that sin enslaves us. Not only does it enslave us in this endless cycle, but it traps us into an inevitable and eternal consequence of sin, and that's death. Slavery to sin is being entrapped in the inevitable and eternal consequence of sin, death. Not just physical death. Physical death is the fruit of sin, but spiritual death is the consequence an eternity separated from God where his wrath is poured out upon us. So for these men in, in the gospel this morning, by continuing to insist that they don't need freedom, we're the sons of Abraham, dude. Why do we need to be free? By continuing to reject Jesus, they were only drawing the chains tighter. They're only adding shackles to their ankles. In the, in the same way, we talked about this a minute ago, in the same way that continued obedience to the truth gives us further understanding, we're, we're further enlightened to the truth of the things Jesus said, continued um, practice of sin, of disobedience, blinds us to the truth and further enslaves us. Friends, we must not take sin lightly. It is not a small thing. Every act of disobedience, every act of sin, every rejection of the gospel message is another set of chains, 
another set of chains. God warned Pharaoh, think about this. Remember, the, the context of this passage is in the Feast of Booths in the Exodus. God warned Pharaoh ten times, ten times before his heart was ultimately hardened. And then it was too late. Chain after chain after chain until it was too late. His heart was hardened. Don't wait too long. Listen, if you're here and and you've never repented of your sins and trusted Jesus, I'm telling you, don't wait too long. Trust Jesus today and he will forgive your sins and he will give you eternal life. But but listen, for those of us who have believed, there's truth for us here too. Because if we are persevering in the truth, we must continue to look to that same grace that caused us to believe, to help us to remain faithful. Persevering is not something that we do in our own strength and in our own ability. Listen to what, listen to what 1 John 2, 1 says. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Isn't that amazing? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2, 1. Friends, when you sin this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you sin. We all sin. When you sin, confess and repent of that sin quickly. Do not linger. Do not linger. Jesus is still your advocate. He is in heaven right now making intercession between you and the Father. Be open with him when you fail. Be open with him when you sin. And then be honest with one another. Be honest with those men and women that you're in close connection with here in the body. For many of you that are members here at the church at Blue Ridge, that's your cell group. Confess your sins to the members of your cell group. Repent of those sins openly in front of that person or those people. They are God's gift there for you to encourage you, to challenge you, to call you to repentance. Don't run back to the darkness, friends. Followers of Jesus, don't run back to the darkness. Don't go back to your chains. God forbid that it would ever be said of us what was said of of people in in John's day. Listen to what uh, this gospel writer John says in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not out of us. This may be one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible because John is describing a group of folks who everybody thought they were followers of Jesus. And eventually, they refusing to repent of their sins over and over again, it became clear that they were not, and they left and they abandoned the faith. Jesus goes on. He goes on in verse 35 and he teaches us that slaves have no rights or privileges. No rights or privileges. Look at verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Slaves could be bought. They could be sold. They could be traded. Sent away for no reason at all. And guess what? If you're a slave, you've got no say in the matter. You're just gone. No matter what happens though, a son well, he's always a son. A daughter is always a daughter. He or she never loses his place, her place in the family. In their pride, these men, the Pharisees here, they believe they were sons of God because of Abraham. But Jesus is telling them, no guys, actually you're slaves. 
You're slaves to sin. Jesus was and is the true son. Remember, we've been talking about Jesus' authority. Well, now it's come to fruition here. Jesus, as the true son, has all the same rights. All the authority is God the Father. All the authority that the Father has, Jesus has. If they wanted freedom, if the Pharisees wanted freedom, if we want freedom, freedom from our slavery to sin, it's not in Abraham. Abraham has no authority and no power. All authority, all power rests in the true son, and that's Jesus. If, if slavery to sin, remember my definition, is the inescapable condition of the heart that produces within us a love for things other than God, true freedom is this. It's the gracious gift of the Son that produces within us a love for God above all else. That's what Jesus wants to do for you today. He wants to teach you to love God above all else. He wants to teach you to find your greatest satisfaction, your greatest joy in the one who made you, not in all those other things that you're chasing. D.A. Carson writes this about freedom. He says, true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please. Don't we think that sometimes? I'd be free if I could just do whatever I wanted, right? But the liberty to do what we ought. And it's genuine liberty. It's real. It's true. Because doing what we ought now pleases us. It pleases us to do the things that we ought. It's no longer a burden. It pleases us. It brings us joy. That's what Jesus came to do. To free us to love God above all else and to find ultimate joy in that love. That's what he wants to do for you today if you've never followed him, if you've never trusted him. He wants to set you free. He's he's promising you that if you will abide, if you will abide in his word, persevere, hang on to his truth. Remember we've talked about it being the bread of life? Feast on it. We talked about it being the water that that turns into a spring that, that bubbles up within us. Drink from it deeply every day. Walk in the truth of Jesus' words as the light every day. And in it, in it you will find endless satisfaction. Because in it, God will teach you to, Jesus will teach you to love God. He will teach you to love him. He will free you from the penalty of death. And he will make you live forever. He is indeed the light of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, man, we we stand in awe of who you are, of of just how uh, masterfully you have have been building this this argument. And it's going to keep going. I pray today that your word, uh, that as it's gone out, that that it it would pierce our hearts, that we would not do as the Pharisees and in our pride ignore it and reject it, but that we would bow before it, that you would change us, that maybe you would change some of us for the first time, that you would teach us to love God above all else the first time, and if for the rest of us, that you would teach us to love him more. You are a deep well, and there's endless satisfaction in you, and I pray, I pray that my, my friends would find it, pray that you would show that to them and that they would, they would eat and drink deeply. It's in your name I pray. Amen.